Welcome to Fireside Nets, the number one podcast for Brooklyn Nets news, information, reactions, and so much more. I'm Spen, he's Pete. We are your hosts, and we have a little good news, bad for bad news for you to start the show. The bad news is the Nets are still terrible at basketball. Nothing's really changed there. But the good news and our special announcement that we have been teasing via Twitter all day is that for the first time in the history of Fireside Nets, we now have someone close to the team that will be joining us monthly to give our listeners his inside knowledge on this Brooklyn Nets team. Without further ado, I bring to you the Fireside Nets official Brooklyn Nets reporter, none other than senior Nets writer for New York Daily News, CJ Holmes. CJ, are you as jacked up as we are about this? Always, man. Um, you know, as I... Uh... Uh, kind of get used to this uh, media scenes. It's co- cool to have, uh, you know, some people to stick to and have some people that will like mess with me a little bit in this market. So it feels good. <laughs> Man, I- I'm so hyped because not only are you, you know, you know, Bull, obviously around the team, but you're also a great guy. And anyone that watched the last episode that you're on, I feel like we really meshed well. And man, I'm just hyped. I'm really excited. Congratulations <laughs> and-, and welcome to the team, man. Hey, thanks for having me. <laughs> We're going to do great things here, CJ. So so let's get into it. While we're on the East Coast, we're hanging out in Brooklyn, New Jersey, New York, wherever. The Nets are in Paris for a game on Thursday. It's going to be 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time against the Cleveland Cavaliers. What are you hearing about this team, if anything, as they prepare to take on Cleveland in Paris on Thursday? Um, <laughs> You know, all I know is that the team didn't necessarily – go out to Paris in the best of spirits, um, you know, as losers of what was it like seven of nine, <laughs> like, like, like entering the trip and um, you know, you you beat OKC on Friday, you know, number two team in the Western conference that just, you know, kicked your butts in OKC a couple, you know, week prior. Then you turn around and you lose a game to a trailblazers team with only like eight, nine wins on the year. Um, so I think the the unpredictable nature of this team has to be, you know, pretty stressful to fans. And I know it's tough on Coach Vaughn not knowing which team he's going to get on any given night. But, um, you know, I, I think Lucas Kaplan is the only reporter uh, that covers the Nets in Paris right now. But, you know, you don't – not very often do you get to blow um, – not very often do you get to suffer like a soul crushing loss and then escape to Europe for a week. So, you know, that doesn't lift your spirits. I don't know what will, but, you know, obviously the number one thing that'll lift everyone's spirits is getting back in the wind column out there against the Cleveland Cavaliers. Yeah. And, and, and quick shout out to Lucas Kaplan of Nets daily. Uh, Super happy. What, what what an experience to go to Paris and, and watch the Brooklyn Nets play basketball. Maybe, maybe in this lifetime, CJ, you, me, Pete, maybe we'll find ourselves there one day. Uh, but <laughs> shout out to Lucas. He, he He's living the dream. 
Um, I'm just curious. Do we know why the Nets were chosen for the Paris game? Like, why was this matchup chosen? Uh, yeah, I talked. I actually talked to some people from the league office yesterday um, about the whole thing, and really, it was just because of you know what I was told, just because of Brooklyn's brand. Um, this isn't their first taste of international competition. Actually, if you give me a second, I can. Uh, pull up exactly what I was told but um you know long story short um this isn't this isn't the Nets's first rodeo um abroad um in fact sorry my clicking is a little uh, I love a good click you're good this is the Nets's 24th game outside of the United States um, in franchise history, which leads the NBA by a mile. So this is a team they're familiar with, you know, working with, um, you know, it's a New York team. And the Nets actually have a pretty good international reach in terms of their fan base. So um, when you're trying to find different ways to, you know, promote the game to a wider audience, you know, it's a, you know, if you can't get the, can't get the Knicks or the or the Warriors or the Lakers in here, you know, a New York team like the Nets, that's a pretty good option too. And shout out to former Net Timothy Luawu Cabarro from France. I don't know. He used to play for the Nets. They get a Paris game. Maybe that was his contribution for this team. Did you see who has the game in Paris next season? I did not. The San Antonio Spurs and Victor Webanyama. Oh yeah, I mean you knew that was coming. Like you just knew that was coming. Um, there are more players from France who have played in the NBA than on like any other continent um, or any other country in the United States. I'm pretty sure. So, um, you know, the face of the NBA might be a French player here in the next couple of years. So, you know, I, I don't blame the league for trying to you know go all in on you know broadening their reach in that market i mean it makes complete sense all right last thing on the paris game predictions do we win this game oh i have i have no earthly idea <laughs> it's this, yes. this team is so unpredictable i mean is mikhail bridges gonna look like the mikhail bridges on on sunday um, even if he does, or, uh, is this team going to be able to hold leads or get stops down the stretch? Like, I just don't know. Like, when I first hopped on the beat, the Nets have won, like, they won, like, six of eight or, like, something crazy like that. They were rolling, vibes are high. And I don't know if it's my fault, but since the last time we've talked, things have gone hit downhill pretty quickly um, to the point where now I believe the team is 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, five games under 500. Um, granted, there's a lot of season left, but, you know, this shit could either go one or two ways for this Nets team. Um, you know, as a former player, I'm all about, like, the eye test and things like that. And I've you've seen what this team could be capable of when they're locked in, firing on all cylinders, regardless of if they're fully healthy or not. They have shown what kind of team they can be when they're healthy. They've also showed – how bad they look, you know, when they've been completely unengaged in games. Um, you know, that 0-5, that 0-5 that week last week, I mean, that had to be one of the worst collective weeks of basketball, like, ever. That was awful. You know what I'm saying? So, and then, you, you know, 
they turn around, come back home, and you kick the Thunder's teeth, a fully healthy Thunder's teeth in on your home court. So, you know, it's hard, it's hard to predict who's going to win on any given night, given those things, until this Nets team shows more consistency. Because right now, I feel like they're having a bit of an identity crisis, and they don't know who they are as a group. What do you think about the whole week off? This team has been struggling with injuries. Day they just got hurt last game. How like refreshing and how much was this week off needed for this team? Definitely needed a lot, especially for you know the Nets' top guys like you know Mikel Bridges, Cam Johnson, um, Spencer Dinwiddie. Those dudes have been playing heavy minutes for for a long time now, right? And um, you get weeks like this in the regular season when you get a you know you get a full week off, only one game. That's extremely rare. And I, you know, I know the team's going to take full advantage of it. You know, Spencer was talking to the media a bit out there in Paris today. And uh, he said day one was all about recovery and rest and getting their legs back under them. And uh, I think they got not, well, not I think they got back on the practice court today out there. And, you know, based on the footage I saw, it looks like they had a pretty, they got a pretty good sweat in today. Um, but again, the ability to have one game in a week, Granted, you got to fly across the pond, but having one game in a week is a rarity in the NBA. And, you know, Vaughn should, you know, obviously you got a game to play and to prepare for, but Vaughn should be, Vaughn's priority should be keeping these guys off their feet as much as possible, you know, outside of some some light tourism. The Brooklyn Nets should treat this game like it's their Super Bowl. They, they, everything's on the line, you know, you're trending downward. Everyone wants you to blow, well, not everyone, but everyone thinks you should blow it up in the media. Make a statement. Make a statement against a Cleveland team that has been up and down this season. Um, I don't know. I, I Do I think they're going to win? Yes. I'm going to go on record and predict a win. Pete, are you predicting a win in this Paris game? Of course. I got I got to keep the hope up. You All know right. what I mean? I, I really think this week off is going to help their legs a lot, and that's going to be the difference. I'm calling it right now. All right. Like I said, that's Super Bowl. Um do I want to ask why Ben Simmons is in Paris and why, and were you surprised about that? I guess, were you surprised at all that Ben Simmons made the trip despite not being close to really playing yet? Um, I think the fact that he's on the trip shows that he might be a little closer to playing than some people realize. Um, Cause Vaughn's made it pretty clear over these last couple of months. that when guys are too injured to play, they don't travel with the team. I mean, Lonnie, Lonnie and Dennis didn't travel on that, you know, first road trip a couple of weeks ago. And then, um, you know, Lonnie started traveling with the team as he got close as he got closer. So the fact that Ben is going on road trips right now, I think, should be seen as a positive. Um, you know, although his timeline is still like up in the air, still unclear when he'll be back on the court. The fact that we've been seeing him a lot more around the locker room and he's traveling with the team on these trips, I think that I think that means that Ben's. A, much, much closer to being on the court than a lot of people realize. The, the team just doesn't want to commit to a date. Interesting. I like that. All right. All right. So, yeah, I was I was a little confused because I just had – we hadn't really heard about any progress, but you're saying if he's there, where there's smoke, there's fire is essentially what, what, we're, what we're talking about here. Um, all right. All right. So there, there are two games, CJ, that Pete and I wanted to go over. Uh, the last two games for the Nets. You brought mm-hmm. up the Thunder game. We'll go over that in a second, but – this Blazers loss, 134-127, the Nets lose in overtime. No DeAndre Ayton for the Blazers, no problem. CJ, my first question is, 
Did we learn anything from this loss? I, I would hope so. Um, I would hope that, you know, if anything, one of my biggest takeaways is that Dennis Smith Jr. might be the closing point guard that this team needs. Now, granted, the game still went to overtime, but I thought he was phenomenal down the stretch doing a lot of little things, especially on defense to, you know, you know, keep keep the keep the game within striking distance for the Nets. Um, I like how he was walking the ball up the court a lot on offense, trying to help his teammates get the best possible shot, um, selling guys down. He was being a real true point guard out there, and I think that not only speaks his, you know, his level of comfort on this Nets team, but the the faith that Jock Vaughn is starting to have in him. Um, so that's a pretty big takeaway for me from that game. But um, I hope they've learned that Mikel Bridges is human. Um, he is, you know. <laughs> he is not immune to slumps just like any other player in the NBA, but, you know, for the first time in a while on, on Sunday, Mikel was the, one of the best players on the court and it's been a very, very long time since anyone could say that about him. Um, so hopefully that newfound momentum travels across the pond because um, consistency has been his big thing this season. And, you know, for him to, if he can start stringing together a couple of good performances, especially, um, you know, especially as we, uh, you know, with the week off and as, you know, basically a week off and as we inch closer to this all-star game, um, hoping Mikel can start getting it rolling so he can get his first all-star appearance. And obviously when Mikel Bridges is at his best offensively, the Nets are close to their peak as well. Um, in terms of the negatives, um, it might be time for some type of defensive change in philosophy. Um Vaughn's been very content with protecting the paint. And here, here, here's the thing about basketball philosophies. They all work. They all work, but it's all based on who's your personnel and how hard are they willing to work, right? Um, for whatever reason, you know, Vaughn's – the team isn't responding, at least not as a collective, to their, their, their style of play defensively. Vaughn's really intent on – you know, keeping guys on the nail, protecting the paint, things of that nature. But that only works if you have guys who are going to bust their ass and get out to the perimeter and scramble and communicate and, you know, make these three-point opportunities more difficult than they have to be. And teams are just – it feels like a layup line from deep. You know, lately in the, these recent games, um, I think the Nets are on pace for historically worse three-point shooting uh, defense. So that's obviously something that has to change. And if you want to look for a common denominator in all these lopsided losses, that's usually what it is. The Nets come out flat. The other teams get going from three-point range on like, at like a senseless rate that we've, we've seen it multiple times now, like in the last couple of reads. Like teams just get going at a senseless – like they, they turn into the 2015 Warriors when they see these Nets or something. But um, That Pelicans game. Yeah, the way that they all started off, they all hit threes. Like almost every, McCollum, Brandon Ingram, every single person on that freaking Herb Jones was hitting threes. I Pelicans game, the Rockets game, um, this past game, like it's it's happening, it's happening far too often for the team not to consider making some type of change. Um, I, I don't know if that changes yet. I'm still kind of studying how this team plays and draw my own conclusions. But I know sure as hell that that's not working, and something uh something needs to change in that regard. Whether it's you know some type of players only meeting to get everyone on the same page, and you know back to that level of effort that made the Nets such a competitive team earlier in the year, 
or scrap the system altogether and go to something that's you know more in tune with the that roster you have. But you know, the the defense the defense has been disastrous um, here in a lot of recent games. So um, that's something that has to be figured out. And you know, life without Dayron Sharp, um, you know, he's gonna be out for at least two weeks here. Um, they said he'll be reevaluated in approximately two weeks, which means I think it's like what is it? The let's see if I can get the schedule. That means he will be reevaluated when the Nets face the Knicks at home on January 23rd. But in the time in between, you got to see Anthony Davis and the Los Angeles Lakers. Um, you got to see Bam Adebayo in the Miami Heat. Got to see Portland again on the road. I see a surging uh, Clippers team. A lot of those teams like to live in the paint, too. And, uh, you know, say what you want, you know, comparing Dayron to Nick Claxton as a player. But, you know, I think they're both very integral in this team's room protection. Um, And without them, I mean, it's probably obviously going to mean a lot more like Dorian Finley-Smith, small ball five stuff. But what it really means is as – Vulnerable, vulnerable as they've been for, um, in terms of giving up three pointers this year, they're now going to be vulnerable in the paint. And I mean, Jock Vaughn said it first: you can give up threes or you can give up layups, but you can't give up both. And right now, the Nets are in a dangerous position where they could be vulnerable to give up both, which makes me think: how bad can this defensive crap actually get for this team um, before it gets better? If that makes sense. <laughs> no, that that makes perfect sense. Uh, in, in terms of a loss like this against the Blazers, and, and just the way the Nets have been playing recently, you know, you talked about philosophy and, and, and changing up the defensive philosophy. How much would you put on the players versus Coach Vaughn? That's a tough one, man. It's a tough one. I do think that there's blame on both sides. Um, while I do think there are things that Vaughn can do to put his players and the better prepare his guys and get, put them in a better position to succeed at the same time. I think that he is getting a lot out of this Frankenstein's monster of a roster that he inherited. Um, but at the same time though, you know, a lot of this effort stuff, a lot of this being locked in that comes down to the players. Like, you know, um, at the end of the day, the, the system is the system. It's your it's your job to go out there and execute the system. It's your job to, you know, get yourself ready to play. It's your job to be locked in and engaged. Uh, you know, coaches cannot do that for you out there on the floor. Um, but what they can do is take away your minutes. Uh, um, so this kind of stuff continues. Perhaps, you know, Vaughn needs to consider something more drastic in terms of his lineup changes. Um, but someone's telling me that this Nets roster is going to look completely different by February 8th anyway. So <laughs> does, does that make sense? Like it's, it's, it's a little bit of both, you know, I can't, I can't blame Vaughn. I can't blame Vaughn completely because I've seen his system work when his guys I've actually like put in the energy and effort to executing it. You know what I'm saying? Like you've seen it work, like, but you know, it doesn't work when you're not putting in effort, you're not locked in, you're not executing, you're coming out flat. And I I think that 
although, you know, a coach has to get you ready to play, you know, as a player, I get yourself ready to play. You know what I'm saying? So I digress. Yeah, looking at the team, you talked about the defense. Is there, uh, I don't know, like a resentment for the for the strategy, for the, for the defensive philosophy? Because we saw in New Orleans, I think it was Dennis Smith Jr. He was talking to somebody on the bench. The camera, the yes camera caught him saying like, man, like I wish they would just hustle or I'm paraphrasing or something like that. Do you sense that around around the locker room, around the team? Um, I don't know. These guys are kind of hard to read. Um, there is something that's off. Um, I don't think it's necessarily like a chemistry thing. You know, they seem to like each other enough in the locker room. Um, but I, I mean, when, when you're losing, my words very carefully here. When you're losing, right? Like, yeah. it's never going to be easy. Yeah. Um, I just think that for a team like this to succeed, it takes it's going to take guys going above and beyond to overachieve in the way they were overachieving earlier in the season. And when that type of energy and buy-in starts to falter a little bit, you know, so so will the overall results, if that makes sense. And for whatever reason, they haven't been able to consistently get to that level of focus and buy-in and selflessness and lock-in um, as a team here in, you know, quite some time. And when you do see it, it never lasts. Um, so I don't know, man. This, this this Nets team is an enigma. I mean, I, I think we're all still trying to figure out, but there's no clear answer. And, again, who knows what this team's going to look like here in a couple of weeks. I think it's very interesting what you brought up about buying. Uh, we're, we're not going to name names on this podcast because we'd like players to join the show whenever they want, if they're Brooklyn Nets, even if they're former Brooklyn Nets, they're still invited on. But we've definitely seen an inconsistent sort of buy-in mentality from a few guys on this roster. Now, one of those guys has not been Dennis Smith Jr. Every time he's been on the court, it's mm -hmm. been 100%. It's been go, go, go. Before we move on from that that Blazers game, I just wanted to, to highlight not the alley-oop that he had. That was okay, but, you know, that mm -hmm. second dunk, the one-handed slam off the dribble in the lane i think dennis smith jr might be the only net physically capable of doing something like that that was insane yeah um dennis has been great um his passion his motor i mean i think in a lot of ways he's reinventing his career here in brooklyn um right before our eyes um he's doing things that are you know extremely valuable at both ends of the court and you know even if it doesn't work out here in brooklyn you know, of course, he's a journeyman at this point in his career, but, you know, somebody's going to somebody's going to want that because um, guys who is playing hard is a skill just like shooting and dribbling and um, sliding your feet defensively. And there are a few in this league who play hard every single night like Dennis Smith Jr. And a lot of people forget, I mean, he's this is like what is like fourth, fifth NBA team. He's only 26 years old. It was Mavs. It was Hornets. Who am I missing? Mavs. It was Mavs. Pistons. Oh, Knicks. Mavs, Pistons, Knicks, Hornets, um, Nets, right? Yeah. Yeah. He's 15. He's only 26 um, years old, though. You know, it's, it's crazy. I mean, in, in a lot of ways, he can still get better. 
he he can he got the bad end of the stick with Luca coming in and essentially stealing stealing his job from him like that that I look at Dallas and I think if if Luca never comes in maybe Dennis Smith is, is still a Mav. Um, I want to talk about the Nets win real fast because it's like the only win we've had not against the Pistons in the last like two to three weeks, no. <laughs> and that was that that one twenty four one fifteen win against the Oklahoma City Thunder. Claxton and Dinwiddie, two guys who were bought in this game, twenty three points. Cam Thomas had 19. Mikhail was off, but but he ended up, you know, having 17 on an off night. And then we we're talking about Dennis Smith Jr., 13 points and 12 rebounds off the bench. I just have one question about this game, CJ. Why can't the Nets play like this every single fucking night? Because it's hard to. Like I just said, it's hard. It's hard to bring that level of just it's just hard to bring that level of energy every single night to like channel that perfect storm. Right. And, you know, they also shot the lights out. So, you know, that helps too. You're not going to shoot the ball like that every single night. I'm trying to get the stats out in front of me right now. Um, But it's hard. And if you're not willing to, you know, make those sacrifices and do that hard work, then you're not going to reach that level every night. There are teams who can do it. uh, And the Nets were doing it very early in the year, but, you know, Whatever reason they can't they can't reach that level right now. Um, let's see what else went right. Let's see their bench like demolished the net. I mean the OKC's bench. Um, you know you go you make fourteen three pointers, hold the other team nine for thirty one. It was just a great defensive performance and they got shots to fall. Um, you know. Uh, you know, and it's funny looking at this box store. They still allow the Thunder to shoot above, you know, above fifty-three percent from the field, um, which is kind of crazy if you look at it, because the Thunder actually made more shots uh, than the Nets, but uh, the the Nets' three-point shooting defense was much better that game. They made fourteen threes themselves, so. In many ways, you know, how was the difference? Love it. Love it. I mean, I, you're right. It, it, and this is what I said. I think the last podcast with Pete, they need so much to go right for them on a nightly basis. It's going to be hard to, to beat teams like the Thunder and, and the Clippers and um, pretty much any team in the West. It, it's just going to be difficult. You see, he said pretty um, much everybody. Just, just everybody. Yeah, everybody. pretty much everybody. <laughs> yeah, you're right. They're losing to the Blazers. They can lose to anybody. Um, all right. So this next segment it's called Time for Change. With the trade deadline approaching, what can we expect Sean Marks to do as we get closer and closer to that February 8th date? Oh, man. Um, hmm. Honestly, I think that the Nets really need to, you know, front office, the powers that be, you need to really sit down and evaluate this roster and decide, you know, even if we add, you know, a couple superstars or to this group, is this good enough to contend? And, you know, I don't think the answer will be yes. I think more than likely there are a lot of guys here that probably don't even want to be here. Um, there's a lot of expiring contracts, uh, a lot of, you know, unrestricted free agents, you know, you could go ahead and go in and sell mode now and, you know, get some, some assets back. So just letting guys walk for nothing. 
this summer, and then you find yourself stitching together another Frankenstein's monster for the roster next year, right? Um, you know, I know that's kind of Mark's strategy, right? I mean, at times they kind of always have a new look group in ways, but um, new look every year doesn't win a championship. Continuity does, and if Mark's determines that this group cannot build continuity and contend for a championship in the next couple of years, which is highly unlikely. And I think what's best is to go in the sell mode, get what you can for the talent you have and try to build this team up with the traditional way by giving younger guys more prominent roles where they can grow and develop and, um, you know, gain that continuity that you see on, you know, so many of these championship teams, you know, even if a team like the Thunder, even if they win a championship this year, I mean, they've still had pretty good continuity with that group. But a lot of those guys, although it's a young team, they've been in-house together. A lot of these guys came in together. Um, that kind of stuff is important in terms of, like, building a championship culture. And I just, you know, everyone's, like, talking about Donovan Mitchell or Laurie Market, and, you know, you bring in Donovan Mitchell, is this team, I mean, are, are, is he even a playoff team, you know? based on what you would probably have to give up to get Donovan Mitchell. No, like you're basically drafting a guy into a losing situation. It's like the Pistons trading for us. <laughs> it's like the Pistons trading for LeBron James or something. You know what I'm saying? Like what's that going to really actually do? Um, um, so yeah. Uh, if I were marked, I would probably be more in the selling mood. Um, but hey. Who knows? I mean, maybe pulls a rabbit out of his head. Next thing you know, this team goes from uh, play into to uh, top four seed, but I doubt it. <laughs> would you you uh, you expect a lot of movement, right? We just talked about that. Would you I say do. over or under three and a half trades being done by the trade deadline? Mm, three and a half? Uh I would say under. I would say under, but I do think that the moves they make will feature a lot of movement, if that makes sense. I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe. Small, yeah, small deal. Uh, like small like for example, I can, I can see a situation where it's like, I don't know, where it's like maybe Dinwiddie and Finney Smith in a package going somewhere, right? And then maybe like Nick going to a third team or, or something like that. I don't know. Like, I don't, I don't know. I'm not just declaring that they, they should trade Nick Claxton. Um, I know we got you're, you're good. You're good. I see. I, I see them. You know, I, I see them kind of being that one team that you see every year that helps facilitate some other deals around the league. You know, with their ability to like, you know, give give you an expiring contract. Like, here's an expiring. You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like they can. I feel like they have a lot to offer to an actual contender. <laughs> so I, I wouldn't be surprised if there are different teams around the league that kind of want to pick from this Nets roster. Because the thing is, the Nets don't have bad players. These, right. I just don't think these players fit together, per se. But the Nets do not have bad players. The Nets have a lot of players who are probably going to end up on championship rosters here in the next couple 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 months. So, I mean, right now, the Nets starting five, there's three guys, right? And Claxton, Dorian Finney-Smith, and Spencer Dinwiddie, that their names are 
in trade rumors every single day, yes. right? Cam yeah. Thomas is another one. Royce O'Neal. So that's five guys on the Nets that we know there is interest around the league. And they're not – Spencer Dinwiddie is not tied to Brooklyn for, for the next few years. He's on – Pete, when does Dinwiddie's deal expire? <laughs> He's a free agent at the end of the year. Yeah. Free agent at the end of the year. So, so you know, and, and I know Claxton's deal is coming up too. So that's – there's He's a, a free lot agent of at the end of the year also. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, right. So there's a lot of decisions for Marks to make in, in yeah, terms of – Yeah, free agent. Like they have a shit ton yeah. of unre- unrestricted free agents. Like, you know what I'm saying? Now's the time to move him. Get something for him. Why not? You're not going anywhere with this team. Um, Yeah, I just – you know, it, it, I think we'll all be super surprised if the Nets stay stay put and don't make a move. Like, that would be terrible. That would set the franchise back, no? Yeah. All right. I think we, we've talked enough about this this gloomy Nets team. It, it makes sense. It's been raining like crazy today. The weather's been terrible. The Nets are over enjoying themselves in Paris. I don't know if they deserve it, but they got it. Um, CJ, before before we let you go, and, and you've been great tonight, and, and we're very, very lucky and excited to have you on for, for future shows once a month. CJ Holmes will be on the show for those who are tuning in now. I wanted to talk a little football with you. So we just had the NCAA championship, Michigan over Washington in the championship. It looked like it was going to be a blowout. It it wasn't. Michigan ran away with it late. Was this a good game or a bad game? And and were you happy or upset with the outcome? Um, I mean, I think it was a, I think it was a good game. You know, I think Washington kept fighting, you know, tried to keep it close, but, uh, you know, I'm just I, I and I had no horse in this race. Like I didn't really care who won. I just wanted to see a good game, and I guess I got that. Um, but I guess maybe I, I'm always just down for like a fireworks shootout back and forth kind of national championship game. And so I guess I'm a little disappointed I got that. And like I said, although I didn't care who won, I was kind of hoping that Michael Penix would have you know a better performance you know on the national championship stage. I mean, the quarterback play was kind of just invisible across the board. I mean, um, you know, Penix struggled against that Michigan defense, and I think uh, the cat for Michigan only had like 13 pass attempts because they're running McCarthy, the ball. Right, that's the McCarthy, yeah, McCarthy, McCarthy yeah. only had like 13 pass attempts because Michigan was running the ball so daggone well. So I guess it was a little boring. I was hoping for more fireworks, but. Uh, who knows? Maybe when those teams link up again in the Big Ten next year or wherever they are, then uh, <laughs> the the rematch will be a little more exciting. The only reason I was semi happy is because you know Jim Harbaugh. I feel like he's a lot more fun after a win than a loss. No. So I enjoyed his his post game presser. I would love to see him go to the NFL and try to win a Super Bowl because I don't think he would, but I'd, <laughs> I'd love for him to go and try. Mm-hmm. Um. Okay, I'm not a huge college football guy. I did watch the game because, CJ, you told me you were watching it last night. So I'm like, you know what? Let me, let me tune in. Let me pretend like I like college football for a night. And then they did not persuade me to watch more. I, I did not think that was a great game. <laughs> it was like Michigan 14 nothing in the blink of an eye. Uh, 14-3 or whatever the, the, the score was. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I am a huge NFL guy. Pete and I are Giants fans. We'll, we'll get to Giants in a second. But, uh, you know, playoffs starting very soon. Who do you like in the Super Bowl, and and who wins? Ah, man. Give me the Niners coming out of the NFC East. I mean, I'm sorry, the NFC, um, because the uh, 
Um, the NFC East contenders look like pretenders to me, and this is coming from a Commanders fan, so yeah, maybe I'm a little salty. Um, out of the AFC, man, get, I don't know. I kind of want to rock with the Ravens, man. I kind of want to rock with the Ravens. Um, you know, people saying that uh, Lamar Jackson ain't quarterbacky enough. I want to see him shut some people up. You know, go out there and there's you know, really very few players in the, in the NFL that are as exciting as him. And getting to watch him in a Super Bowl would just be incredible. And, you know, whether he wins it or not, I kind of just – I'm kind of just tired of that narrative that, like, you know, the black quarterback can't play that position at, a, at the highest level without the use of, like, gimmicks and stuff. I mean, the dude can – you know, I think he's just as good. He's developed into just as good as a passer as he is as a runner. And, you know, that's why the Ravens, you know, the, the Ravens made him sweat it out. You know, that's a, that was a lot of negotiations over the summer, but he got that deal. And, you know, there's a lot of guys who get that kind of money and they kind of fall off a cliff. And Lamar not only took his game, has taken his game to another level, but he has the Ravens as the number one team in the AFC. And I just don't really – trust anyone else enough in the AFC this year. You know, of course, Mahomes is always going to be a threat. Um, you know, you let Tyreek Hill get loose enough, then, you know, maybe the Dolphins can be a threat coming out too. But uh, I just – it just really feels like the Ravens and the Niners are destined to meet in the Super Bowl, and uh, that's, a, that's a game I'd love to see. Yeah, I I absolutely so I, I have a, a warm spot in my heart for the Ravens. Um while back I was at the Ravens practice facility and uh John Harbaugh I was, I was in the urinal. Harbaugh comes up next to me, goes, What's going on, champ? Couldn't have been a nicer human being. And in like that 10 second interaction, CJ yeah. and Pete, I just got the, the sense that he's a leader of men. And guys respect him. And I know I was I was waxing poetic about Jim earlier. I think John's a better coach. In the NFL specifically, maybe it's different in college, um, but Harbaugh has been there. He was there for the Flacco years. He's been all in on Lamar Jackson, and he has been 100% right. Uh, and I agree with you. It would be great for, for Lamar Jackson. First of all, he's already got an MVP. So all the people who have said he's not a quarterback after that season, you're idiots. Like, like the guy was the most valuable player in the league at the quarterback position. So he can't not be a quarterback. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm I'm with you. Solidify it. Win, win the whole fucking thing. Yeah, just like, the middle finger to yeah. I mean, like, I don't has a quarterback with Lamar style of play even won a Super Bowl yet. I don't think so. A running quarterback. Like Jalen Hurts got close. Yeah, Hurts I mean, got close. Hurts got close last year, but like, I don't know. I just kind of want to see. I, I would love to see that narrative die because you know it's just. You know what it is. <laughs> I, I got I got Ravens over the Cowboys. That's that's my Super Bowl right there. Harbaugh wins another one. Lamar gets a ring. Um, Odell gets another ring. Give me give me Baltimore. Hey, as long as Dallas loses, because I don't know what I'm gonna do if Dallas wins the Super Bowl, man. I can't, yeah, no, I can't be held accountable for how I might react. No <laughs> Dak Dak doesn't have that in his DNA. No way. Um, I got to let Pete talk about the Giants for a second. He was talking to, talking to me before the show. Pete, quick quick thoughts on the Giants. And then, and then CJ, I want to hear your takeaway because you're in the NFC East as well. So, so Pete, what, what's going on with the G-Men after uh, one of the more disappointing seasons in recent memory? Well, well the Giants always love to self-sabotage themselves. 
They had they could have moved up in the draft, and of course, they always seem to win towards the end of the year. And it happens every time they're about to pick in the top five, top ten. They always win these little games that don't mean shit, and it winds up ruining them, like the chance of drafting a good quarterback. And it happens every time. It's it's I don't know. CJ, what do you think about that? Teams that you know are not going to make the playoffs, they're going to be you know tied draft picks, and then all of a sudden they they just start winning. What's what's your take on that? Yeah, like the Cardinals and and stuff, but I don't know, man. Like, heading into the year, I thought my commanders were going to make some noise and, you know, Sam Howell. And at first it looked pretty good until it didn't. After we lost a couple in a row and it became clear to me that we we weren't going to contend this year. And – I don't know, and it gets to a certain point, you know, I kind of just check out. I'm like, you know, last week of the season, we're playing Dallas, and I'm just like to, you know, I'm talking with Eric Lewis, the other Nets reporter, and he's a Dallas fan. I'm like, I hope you guys beat the brakes off us. Like, you know, leave no doubt, leave no doubt who's going to get the number two pick in, a, in the NFL draft. But at the end of the day, though, like some these guys are still competitors, and no matter how bad a team might be, um, some franchises, some coaches, some players will refuse to tank, will refuse to lay down or go quietly into the night. And for those people, I respect them. It just couldn't be Mito this year because we're trying to get Caleb Williams. So, well, <laughs> All right. So, so you got your quarterback in Caleb Williams. Who is the next head coach of the Washington Commanders? Apparently Ben Johnson is like three to one odds as of today. Yeah, like he's like, what is he like the Lions OC? I keep seeing his name like Ben Johnson, like super, super textbook. Uh, you know, your prototypical football coach name, Ben Johnson. You know what I'm saying? But uh, apparently he's uh, three to one odds. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing just them just giving the job to Eric Bieniemy either. Um, he's our associate head coach and he's been working hard for an opportunity to, you know, be the head guy over the last couple of years. And I kind of thought that when they made him associate head coach in Washington, then that basically meant that when Rivera's time is up, which it will be very soon, then those reins would naturally transition to him. But um, I guess that's apparently not the case. And uh, new ownership kind of wants to open it up and see where it goes. So see how that plays out. But, you know, we actually have competent ownership now, and hopefully that means that, uh, you know, maybe I'll be able to see a Super Bowl in my lifetime. I never thought I'd see the Bucks win a NBA Finals or the, you know what I'm saying, or the Denver Nuggets win the NBA Finals. So maybe, just maybe, and uh, my commanders will, or whatever we rebrand to next, will uh, with competent leadership and ownership, hopefully that we can uh, – see a championship in my lifetime too that'd be great and pete and i have seen two championships for the new york giants so we'll you know we, we can be 60 70 however old we get we've yeah. still seen those those two super bowls cj <laughs> thank you so much for coming on the show where can people follow you and check out your work y'all can find me on instagram and twitter at cj homes 22 and then uh, let's do this again in a month Huh? Good or- Sounds good. We're, we're, we're game for that. Hopefully uh, the Nets aren't aren't like eight losses out of their last nine games or something ridiculous. Maybe, yeah. maybe they'll be playing a little bit better basketball. And just the good thing is like, you know, 
you know, the longer I'm here, the longer I'll have like, actually have more insight into the team. So, I, you know, I know a little more than I knew the last time we talked. So hopefully, uh, hopefully uh, I can start getting some good little, uh, some good little tidbits for y'all here soon. But uh, I appreciate the opportunity for y'all to have me on, man. Thank you. We appreciate it, CJ. Thank you for jumping on. And thank you to everyone for listening to another edition of Fireside Nets. I'm Spen. He's Pete. Tune in next week. And as always, catch you on the fireside.